0: Even among fans of Silent Hill Downpour, one of the most commonly named weaknesses of the game is monster design. The monsters are seen as repetitive and unoriginal, and to some extent I agree, they do come across that way, but the reason for it is far more complex than weak design. It's a number of factors coming together to undermine the impact of the town's monstrous denizens, despite the fact that they are rather unique and have important implications on the story. What is it that undermines these monsters, and what do they ultimately represent? Before we can discuss it, we have to consider a major factor in Downpour's success and failure, its massive size. Consider Silent Hill 2 a game which includes a total of about 14 locations, which are at least partially explorable, and seven monsters, excluding unique bosses. The streets James can explore are limited. The main section of town contains seven central roads, which are cut off in various places. Across these locations, the spread of monsters is well paced, with a variety of them appearing at various points in the game. Downpour also has seven monsters, while Downpour's map contains 16 major streets and at least 20 explorable locations throughout town. And the first problem with the monsters becomes abundantly clear. There just aren't enough of them to go around. On the streets of Silent Hill, where the player may be spending countless hours exploring for side quests and trinkets, two monsters appear most often. The Prisoner and the Screamer. So we have an enormous game with a small amount of monsters, restricted to spreading two of them across the majority of the town's layout, leading to the player encountering wave upon wave of the same type. No matter the unique horror of the wheelman's distorted corpse or the strange melted flesh of the tormented soul, the player will only remember the vaguely male and vaguely female shapes that colored their experience. That too presents a problem. Both have typically humanoid silhouettes. Though there are small, horrific details to their designs, these small details become lost in the general movements of gameplay. The greatest weakness of these monsters is their silhouette, an understated but important aspect of design. Consider this character. Do you recognize who it is? Even if you've never read the manga or seen the show, you likely know this is the main character of Yu-Gi-Oh! He was designed with a ridiculous bright hairstyle to make him stand out, and his silhouette is unique enough that he is immediately recognizable. Pyramid Head works for a similar reason. He too has a unique silhouette. But the most unique monsters of Downpour are barely present in general exploration. It's only the Prisoners and the Screamers whose unique features create no change in their outline, and are small enough to be missed in the chaos of combat. Instead, it looks as if waves of generic humans are attacking us, creating the idea the game has generic monsters. A major contribution to the feeling of weakness was the focus on humanoid monsters, and I quickly understood why these creatures were so human when I looked deeper into their initial designs. A presentation on horror by Brian Gomez, design director of the game, revealed that the team looked to modern horror genius and monster icon my personal favorite author clive barker for those who don't know clive barker is an author and director behind multiple best-selling horror novels and many films including his most famous hellraiser he is the mind behind pinhead and his works have been cited as an influence on the series since the first game Barker's monsters are very human. They are tormented people, and in taking inspiration from him, the Downpour team focused on creating monsters who appeared to be humans in terrible tortured forms of life. It becomes incredibly obvious Barker was an influence once you consider cutscenes like this. Scenes which have heavy focuses on chains, imprisonment, physical torture, and body horror. The peeled back eyes of the prisoners, the split mouths of the screamers, are reminiscent of Barker's Cenobites. The problem is that these horrifying details are lost in gameplay. In film, the camera is able to constantly frame the monsters so as to best present their horror to the viewer. In gameplay, the camera has to focus on the player, and outside of pre-rendered cutscenes you never see these monsters up close, and so you lose these details. So what do these tortured monsters represent? The first and most common creature is the Screamer, a monster with female features and a grotesque physical form that seems to be lacking skin and muscle. Her breasts are gone, her skin burned and blistered and her hands pinned into fists by nails that have been hammered through her fingers and act as one of her main weapons. The other is her mouth which splits her face in half, and can emit terrible screams that distort the game's screen and stun Murphy. Original designs for the Screamer were even more obviously focused on grotesque mouths. In which a feminine figure in a tattered dress stands with an impossibly wide mouth, their pale face split in half, nose flattened and eyebrows gone. A more ordinary human stands beside this concept, an older woman in a brown jacket with tattered hair, almost Dahlia-like in design. The implication seems to be this was originally a normal person, and perhaps an older concept of the game involved this person's transformation. It is hard to see given the low quality of the source image, but it almost seems that the woman has religious paraphernalia beneath her jacket, possibly implying a holy woman like the nun. A common theory for the Screamer's origins is Carol, Murphy's wife, which makes sense considering her name. The word finds its origins in religious song. A carol is a religious folk song, traditionally a joyful one. If the Screamer is Carol in Murphy's eyes, it means the beautiful, joyful song of his wife has been transformed into a nightmarish screech that torments him, reflecting the tragic changes in his relationship with the woman he loved. Another female-coded monster in the game is the doll. Thin, sexual female figures with plastic features and stiff limbs. Red color distorts their skin, resembling a bra across the chest and bloody gloves on the hands. Short silvery hair, like a wig, covers blank empty eye sockets and a gaping mouth. Torn tights and a thin, ruined negligee complete the outfit. Original concepts of the creature were called the flirt, and all of them resemble the final design. Sexualized ruined clothes, gaping mouths and dead eyes, attacking them head on does nothing, cause it is the shadow that actually attacks. Dolls use illusions to mislead the player, and chasing the wrong target will get you killed. The idea that Murphy is on the wrong track, that only by switching directions will he make it anywhere, is reinforced when the player is forced to reconsider how to fight these monsters. The sexual nature of the doll may have two levels of meaning. For one, Murphy is in a failed marriage and spent his recent years in prison, isolated from women. The sex doll-like nature might reflect the fact that he's had no real partners. His only options have been imaginary. The more powerful connection might be to Anne. In order to have Murphy transferred to her prison, she performed favors for other prison guards, which included sexual favors, a fact that damaged her relationship with her husband irreparably. Her own guilt and shame may have changed her view of her own body to one like a doll to be used by others. A less common enemy is the wall corpse, which shares a likeness with the bodies trapped in cages, called tormented souls, but these can attack. It's suspended inside a metal halo of the sun, the symbol of the order, and spews a blood-like liquid which hurts Murphy when he passes. They are prisoners trapped by metal bars, pained by their imprisonment, spewing violence. Remember the scene near the beginning of the game where Murphy walked out of the prison? He was surrounded by men trapped in cages, spewing vicious, angry words at him. The wall corpses are in some ways similar to the other prisoners Murphy would have been surrounded by for years, trapped like himself, but still able to hurl insults and harsh words at him. And of course, there are the prisoners, which have two variations, minion and juggernaut, implying a system of hierarchy common in prison populations. The minions are common and weak, With their pure white eyes forced open and mouths peeled apart covered in blood and tattoos barbed wire is wrapped around their flesh and the veins in their tight skin stand out the original designs of these monsters were heavily focused on clown imagery and when you add the fact that the most prominent prisoner besides murphy patrick napier shares his last name with the clown prince of crime i kind of wonder if there was originally some joker themes in the prison level Altogether, I would say, the general monster population of Downport is weakened by the situation the game creates for itself. In making the largest town ever conceived, a scenario is created that requires massive amounts of monsters, which the game simply doesn't have. In focusing on humanoid monsters with small detailed features, the many waves of similar creatures blend together for the player. The monster design itself is not weak but the designs aren't ideal for a third-person camera in a video game. It's a mistake, but not a game-ruining one, and one I think the team could have learned from if they'd had the chance to continue working on Silent Hill. Trauma is a hell of a thing. It warps us as much as it molds us. Its blood and black and needle-scratch screeches at 3am when the thumping in your ears wraps us tight and suffocates us, and it never, ever goes away. This story doesn't end the way we want all the time. By Anton Kanker, 73 poems of trauma, terror, and the fight to win back control of the self, wrapped in cracked scabs and pus. Available in ebook and paperback at thedragonsroost.biz or through Amazon. With an introduction written by yours truly.